Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It's time for Sorallo Sports Talk with Joe Sorallo. Here we go, episode 19, and I can't wait. What a week for the number four. Joe Biden, now officially president for the next four years. We're down to four teams. That's right, it's conference championship week in the NFL. And I just got word on Monday that for the fourth consecutive year, I'll be heading down to the Super Bowl to cover the big game. That's right, Tampa Bay We are less than 10 days away, January 31st. I'll be flying down to Florida's West Coast and hopefully covering the Buffalo Bills versus the winner of the NFC title game. I mean, look, you already know the Bills make me want to shout. I love the Buffalo Bills. I love Josh Allen, Sean McDermott, Jordan Poyer, the culture in Buffalo, the fans in Buffalo, everything that there is about the Buffalo Bills. I am absolutely in love with, and I'll get to that game. But first, the early game Sunday, the Green Bay Packers and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Brady Bucks, going up to the icy frozen tundra Lambeau Field after they beat the Packers 38-10. I'm, I'm sorry, did I say beat? They eviscerated the Packers in their first meeting this season, but I'm taking that game. And I'm putting it so far in the rearview mirror that I've lost sight of it. Because Aaron Rodgers, all season long, has been a man on a mission. The Green Bay Packers, the 2020 13-3 Green Bay Packers, are a completely different team than the 13-3 Green Bay Packers of last year, of 2019. I mean, this team last year, before the postseason, got blown out at San Fran, which of course then they replicated, getting shut out in the first half of that conference championship game. They got blown out at the LA Chargers. Yes, they beat Kansas City. Don't forget the starting quarterback of that Kansas City Chiefs team, Matt Moore. Patrick Mahomes was injured, out for that game, and Green Bay still only beat him by seven. Uh, I mean, that team was the least spectacular 13-3 and team I've ever laid eyes on. And maybe if the Pittsburgh Steelers, who started 11-0, and were able to finish the year 13-3. and They would hold that crown, but the Steelers, of course, finished 12-4, and so they don't even come close. That Green Bay team a year ago was absolutely nothing compared to this 2020 Green Bay team, and it may be as simple as this one little detail. Aaron Rodgers, it seems like for the first time in his long, illustrious first ballot Hall of Fame career, is having fun every single time he takes the field. I mean, I don't know if it's those incredible weekly spots on the Pat McAfee show every Tuesday at 2 where you get to see the kind of guy that Rodgers is. You get to see that fun, joking around, locker room, ball-busting side of him that you've never seen before. I don't know if it's that. I don't know if it's relationships off the field that have been mended or doing better. I couldn't tell you what the hell it is, but Aaron Rodgers is going out there and having fun on Sundays And it makes the Green Bay Packers so much more likable, so much easier to root for, and such a better team. 
So yes, did they suffer their worst loss by far of the season at Tampa Bay to this very Bucks team that they're playing on Sunday earlier this year? They did. Are they going to look anything like the Green Bay team that lost 38-10 at Tampa in the middle of the season? They are not. No, I think Green Bay is going to go out there, and I think the Packers are going to jump out to an early lead. I think it'll get close around the late third, early fourth quarter, but I think the Green Bay Packers are going to win this game against Brady, who is an all-time competitor, the GOAT, greatest quarterback of all time, best to ever do it. I don't think he's in year one in the NFC going to represent his new conference in the Super Bowl. I just don't see it. Antonio Brown's banged up. Chris Godwin can't catch a cold. Mike Evans is still a little banged up. I mean, don't forget about it. Mike Evans, as phenomenal as he's played so far this postseason, he suffered a pretty rough injury on that knee week 17. Mike Evans, you can't convince me, is at 100% health. Now they're running the ball well. Leonard Fournette this postseason has experienced some resurgence. I mean, Ronald Jones was their number one back for the bulk of the regular season. Right now, it's all Leonard Fournette, both in the ground game and as another receiving option for Tom Brady. You know, who knows? Maybe there's some magic left for Gronk in a conference title game. Of course, in the locker room after their win against New Orleans, he did say that they were going to the AFC title, but, you know, brain cells were never Rob Gronkowski's specialty. Tampa Bay is a dangerous team. And the reason that they're so dangerous is because even with all the names I listed on the offensive side of the ball, all of the talent that they have, the amount of points that they can put up any given week, they're a better defensive team than they are offensive team. I mean, their front seven is up there as good as anyone else, maybe bar the Pittsburgh Steelers in football. Devin White, the middle linebacker, who I was really hoping would fall to the Giants at six a couple drafts ago, he has asserted himself here in his sophomore year as one of the most dominant inside backers in football, causing turnovers was all over the field against New Orleans a week ago. I mean, this Tampa Bay defense is, you can argue, scarier than their offense. And their offense is littered with Hall of Famers. So this Tampa Bay team, probably more complete than Green Bay, not as dominant as Green Bay, not as explosive as Green Bay. And look, they have far more weapons on the offensive side of the ball, far more weapons on both sides. But Aaron Rodgers and this Green Bay Packer offense are by far the best, most successful group in the NFC. I mean, and he doesn't have Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown, Rob Gronkowski. I mean, I could have just named three Hall of Famers out of those four. Rodgers has won, Devontae Adams. But he's turned guys like Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Alan Lazard, Robbie Tunyon. I mean, he's turned these guys all into incredible weapons. Hell, Rob Tunyon should have been a pro bowler. Ten touchdowns this regular season. Don't ask me how the hell, and I'm a Giants fan, you know this. Don't ask me how the hell Evan Ingram makes the Pro Bowl with one touchdown and about a half dozen drops. I don't know how he makes the Pro Bowl over Robert Tunyon. Aaron Jones, of course, came to life a couple years ago. I mean, Aaron Rodgers does not have the weapons Tom Brady has, but he is playing the best football of his career. And that's a career that, by the way, has two MVPs in it. Playing the best football of his career right now. I think he's going to send the Green Bay Packers to the Super Bowl for the second time in his career. Now, who are they going to play? Is it going to be that Rodgers-Mahomes matchup that everyone dreamed of preseason? Or is it going to be the Ice Bowl down in Tampa, the Buffalo Bills and the Green Bay Packers? I mean, you know who I'm rooting for. You all know I want to circle the wagons with the best of Bills Mafia. I want the Buffalo Bills to get to their fifth, to win their first, and then I'll celebrate by jumping through a table on the beach in Tampa Bay. And that's a promise. Now, I'm jumping the gun. 
because obviously they still have to win a game to get there. But if the Buffalo Bills win the Super Bowl, I am jumping through all the tables. I might even light one on fire on a beach in Tampa Bay before I return from that trip. I can't wait to see Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes play each other in this conference championship game. A conference championship rematch, by the way, 28 years in the making. The 1993 AFC Conference Championship, Jim Kelly and the Buffalo Bills, Joe Montana and the Kansas City Chiefs. Now it's Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. It's a different era of football. I mean, look, the Bills aren't going to have Thurman Thomas to run for almost 200 yards like he did against Kansas City in 93. That ain't going to be there. But they're going to have Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs, who you can put right up there with Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams, Patrick Mahomes and... You name it, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, as one of the best quarterback receiver duos in football this year. And I'll tell you what, right now, if I'm looking at that prop, Stephon Diggs to score a touchdown, minus 110, I'm taking him. I'm taking him to score a touchdown all day long against this Chiefs defense that just doesn't seem to be clicking the same way it did last year. You know, last year the defense started off horrendously, but man, did they click in time for the postseason. Now, they've improved in the second half of this season and in the playoffs from where they were, but they don't look like they've got the grit. They don't look like they've got the ability to pressure the quarterback like that Chiefs team did a year ago around this time. Look, Tyron Matthew, I mean, he might be the best safety in the game. And he can blitz you. He he can beat you in pass coverage. He can do a whole slew of things, right? Chris Jones, one of the best D linemen out there at stopping the run. But that Chiefs linebacking core, it's weak. Their cornerbacks, especially with Brashad Breeland on concussion protocol. I mean, they don't have a ton of cornerback depth. They had way more last year than they do. They need Breeland out there. It's that simple. I mean, he's not going to be enough to stop Diggs, to shut Diggs down, but he can slow him down. Without Breeland, the Chiefs are in trouble. It's not going to be a matter of either team shutting down the opposing offense. That's just not how this year's Bills or this year's Chiefs, that's not how they do it. I mean, the Bills a year ago, had an incredible defense, got to the playoffs probably because of their defense. This year, the Bills are an offensive juggernaut. I mean, you've got three of the top four offenses in football still standing, the Packers, the Chiefs, the Bills, and I love it, and it's exciting, and this has all the makings of a 35-31 or 34-31 AFC title game, but I think that the Buffalo Bills are going to be able to outlast Kansas City. A lot of people think that the Bills are a year away, and I say nope. The Buffalo Bills are as good right now as any team in football. And I know the big question is, will Patrick Mahomes play? He's in concussion protocol. He's got that toe injury. Look, it won't be official until Saturday, but Patrick Mahomes is not missing his third straight AFC title game. So you bank on him playing, but you bank on Josh Allen going shot for shot with Mahomes all damn day. I'm taking a Green Bay Packer, Buffalo Bills Super Bowl, And I can't wait to see them in Tampa. When we come back, my guy Brandon Lang of BrandonLang.com here to tell you how to bet these games. I don't know if he's going to agree with me. I'm on Green Bay and Buffalo. You know, Brandon told me back in September, preseason, two days before the NFL season kicked off, Brandon told me the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were winning the Super Bowl. So I got a feeling we might be disagreeing about these games. But stick around. We'll be right back with him. You're listening to Serralo Sports Talk.
Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Sorallo Sports Talk with Joe Sorallo. back here on Sorallo Sports Talk and joining the show, trying to make you some money ahead of championship weekend in the NFL. You know him well. It's Brandon Lang of BrandonLang.com. How you feeling, baby? Yeah, I'm not in Vegas. I'm actually in New Orleans. I'm uh, parked right outside Jared Cook's house, uh, just waiting for Jared to come out. Um, just want to have a few words with him and, and want to ask him how he really feels about <clears throat> costing his team a shot to go play Green Bay this weekend. Uh, I, I want him to, to hold a press conference, and I want him to say, hey, uh, Drew didn't play bad. Uh, Drew came out in the second half and engineered a great scoring drive to put us up 2013. And then our defense got a stop and we got the ball right back and Drew was going to take us down and, and score again. And, and I just decided that I didn't want to go to green Bay. It's too cold up there. Uh, I'm more of a warm weather guy. And once we lost home field advantage, I had to figure out a way to make sure we didn't go to green Bay because, you know, if I catch that pass and secured, I mean, as a, as a receiver in the NFL, one of the things my receivers coach teaches me all the time is anytime you catch the ball over the middle, and you have a defender trailing you, that the number one thing we're taught is ball security. Tuck the ball away. Make sure we secure the, the ball first before we think about yards. But like I said, I didn't want to go to Green Bay. I, I, I had no <laughs> desire to go to Green Bay. I didn't want to go to Green Bay. Uh, I know that if I go down there, we have the ball at the, at the Tampa Bay 37, and uh, we're going to go score. We're going to be up 27-13, and it's game over. We're going to Green Bay. So uh, I'm getting ready to go to the Bahamas, uh, chill with my three black women. Uh, I got a bunch of hookers and coke and blow and, and uh, ecstasy and – I got all the things a player like me that uh, cost my team a chance uh, to go. That's uh, my name is Jared Cook, and uh, I'm, I'm gonna go have a good time. You know, I, I made sure I, made sure I had to go freeze my ass off up in uh, Green Bay. <laughs> Brandon, I don't think I've heard you this mad at one specific player since Steven Guskowski opening week for the Titans. Well, there's that, and then there's Phil, many Philip Rivers rants. There's Brian Billick's rants, but that that people want to say Drew Brees was horrible. Yes. After the fumble, he was horrible because he was asked to do something that he had already done. He had already won the game. He won the game. He was about to put together two touchdown scoring drives to give his team a 27-13 lead, and he walks off and sets down and says, I've done my job. When they returned the fumble to the 40, gave Brady, Brady a short field, three scoring drives of three yards, 10 yards, and 40 yards, um, he had to go out there going, man, I got to do this again. And then the play calling and he had to force a couple things and he was garbage after that. This is on Jared cook. Uh, good riddance. Uh, I'm going to you know, go work at a car wash. So you can wipe down my bends when I pull it through and get it washed. Cause you're a dick. But anyway, now we're forced with Tampa Bay and green Bay. Um, and, and this is what we get, you know, just uh, penalties, turnovers and coaching stupidity penalties, punt return for a touchdown, 10, nothing. Nope. Six, nothing. Um, turnovers, Jared Cook, see ya. Coaching stupidity. Let me run my $500 million quarterback on a third and one and an option play when his foot's kind of bothering him. Real smart, Andy. But on the flip side of that, then he goes for it on fourth and one with a great play call. So you never know what you're going to get with Andy. But that's kind of where we're at. Um, you know, I know we're pressed for time. We got 10 minutes. I like to rent. You know that. <laughs> I spent half our segment ripping Jared Cook, and rightly so. Um, at the end of the day, I just think the Bucks match up well with Green Bay, and I don't see it being a blowout. 
Um, I think you have to play Tom Brady plus three and a half. We all learned our lesson last week that Tom just didn't turn it over. Um, if Tom wins the turnover battle in a playoff game, he is a documented and validated 18 and 0 straight up. Whoever wins the turnover battle wins this game. And can the Bucs play a clean game? Yeah, they're able to run the football against uh, Green Bay the first time. Um, I'm, I'm sure they realize we need to run the football in this one. Um, and I just think defensively, the Bucs match up well with what Green Bay likes to do. So I see this going down to the wire field goal game, and uh, I'm going to take the three and a half. There you go. You know, Brandon, you said to me back in September, you like Tom Brady for the MVP. You like Tampa Bay for the Super Bowl. I'm assuming that's why you got to stick with your preseason pick and take Tampa to go to the big game, by the way, in their own stadium. Yeah, I, you know, I, uh, I, I should have just went against Sean Payton. Yeah, in the playoffs. If you, if, you, if, if you think about the year they went to the Super Bowl and they won, that was on Brett Farr. In overtime, Brett's got him at the 42. He's rolling out. It's third down. All he's got to do is run for the first down. It's six yards in front of him. There's nobody there. Just if he does that and picks up that first down, we have a Minnesota Indy Super Bowl rather than the Saints. They were pretty much gifted it by far, thrown back across his body for the pick. And then, of course, they would down kick a winning field goal. And they got to go to the Super Bowl and beat the Colts. So um, Sean Payton is starting to fall in that line of most overrated coaches in NFL history along the lines of Mike Ditka, Mike Tomlin, and now Sean Payton. I think we can put him in that class. There you go. You said it. I mean, Mike Tomlin, that, that's a whole different debate. When we have a little more time, we can get into. But the AFC Championship game, a coach who definitely isn't overrated, and Andy Reid, an offensive mastermind who, like you mentioned, sometimes puts his own quarterback in the line of fire. He's a three-point favorite at home against the Bills. Brandon, I, I kind of had a feeling you were going to go with Tampa Bay plus the three and a half right here. I got no clue. Who do you like? KC minus three against Buffalo. Comes down to one matchup because the amazing thing about the first meeting was, and it's ironic that we get two games in the championship where we had great, crazy games in the, the regular season. Uh, Kansas City had just come off their first loss of the year to the, to the Raiders. They had to turn around and go up to Buffalo. Um, it, was a, it was kind of an, an ugly game. 26-17, certainly Buffalo's a better offensive team now than they were back then. But, you know, Kansas City's focused. I, I believe 100% Mahomes is playing. But for me, Josh Allen's been great. He's been great, but he wasn't you – know, and the wind had a lot to do with his performance last week. He was dynamite but shaky in the fourth quarter against the Colts. This comes down to Steve Spagnola versus Josh Allen. That's exactly what it comes down to. Mm -hmm. Mahomes is going to be Mahomes. The Chiefs offense is going to do what the Chiefs offense does. That means they are going to score. Can Josh Allen execute against the Spagnola defense for 60 minutes in his first AFC championship game on the road? Can he do it? Um, in my opinion, you force him to do it. You don't take, you know, would I take Buffalo to three and a half for the Chiefs down to two and a half? I've already taken the Chiefs down to two and a half. Um, value number with Mahomes, value number with the Chiefs. But at the end of the day, who do you lose with? If Josh Allen goes in here and plays the game of his life against a defensive coordinator who beat 18-0 and Tom Brady and perhaps the greatest offensive team we'll ever see in NFL history, then so be it. You tip your cap and go on your way. I think Buffalo's a year away. I had them getting to the FC Championship game. I said that they could, they could give a KC a run for their money. I like a high-scoring game. Back and forth, Mahomes doing stuff, Josh Allen doing stuff. But at the end of the day, when there's a critical stop that needs to be made in this game, I trust Steve Spagnola and the Chiefs, uh, and I'm going to take them minus two and a half. 
There you go. Looks like we might have Mahomes and Brady down in Tampa. Brandon, I'm going to miss you. I'm going to Tampa Bay. I know Bron and you and the crew won't be there. I will tell you this. If I see a point guard in some thigh-high, skin-tight boots, I will slider your number. That's a promise. Walter. Listen, listen. Are you going to Radio Row? I am. There's a Radio Row. There is a Radio Row. Yeah, I didn't find out until, what's today, Thursday? I found out Monday morning that I was going. The uh, the NFL downsized the event. They're not bringing any players. Um, they're not providing any guests. Anyone who stumbles in on their own accord uh, is available for interview, but there will be a downsized socially distanced radio row. I wonder if I can get a ticket. So I'll be in Tampa. I'll be in Tampa. Well, so. I'll tell you what, I would love to see you. If I can get you a day pass, help out in any way. I'd love to have you on the show live. All right. I'll contact Bron. Let's enjoy the weekend. Let's go 2-0, and and we'll touch base next week. My man, best of luck. Talk to you soon. Bye, buddy. See you. We'll be right back on Sorallo Sports Talk. Don't change that channel. It's time for Joe's final word here on Sorallo Sports Talk. All right, it's time for my final word here on Sorallo Sports Talk. And there's a lot to unwrap in this final segment, right? I mean, today was a busy day in the NFL, and I'm going to start with yesterday's news, with Philip Rivers retiring after an incredible Hall of Fame, undoubtedly 17-year career in the NFL. 16 with the San Diego and then Los Angeles Chargers. One with the Indianapolis Colts and about all of five hours with the New York Giants. You know, I have a special place in my heart for Philip Rivers because he was never a New York Giant. And that is said with absolutely no disrespect, but Philip Rivers is a Hall of Famer, had incredible regular seasons, had incredible teammates, LaDainian Tomlinson, Antonio Gates, both of whom are Hall of Famers, and yet was never able to get the hardware on his finger. I mean, if that trade isn't made, you can argue. And of course, look, you never know, right? I mean, those Giants teams, especially Super Bowl 42 when they knocked off the then 18-0 Patriots, I mean, that season, that team was in it because of their defense, right? But Eli Manning also had an incredible clutch factor that played a major part in both Super Bowl seasons. I mean, look, the second time the Giants won it, they were 9-7. and They won a weak division, 6-6 six and six at one point that year. And they snuck into the playoffs, got hot at the right time, went on an incredible run. Eli had a career year that season. He, frankly, was slightly above mediocre the first time the Giants won the Super Bowl. But I don't know if Phillip Rivers would have been able to step up in the pocket as it collapsed with New England D lineman grabbing his jersey, trying to drag him down, a play that some argue should have been called dead. I don't know if Rivers, who was never really known for his arm strength, would have been able to stand up in that pocket and fire that ball over the middle that Tyree secured into his helmet. You know, I don't know if Phillip Rivers would have been able to twice take down Tom Brady, considering he was never really able to as a member of the Chargers. You know, he had a 14-2 San Diego Charger team. LaDainian Tomlinson, Antonio Gates both having career years, and he was a pretty quick out in the postseason. Now, I don't think that that should deter anyone from voting for Phillip Rivers. I'll go so far as to say he's not just a Hall of Famer, 
but a first ballot Hall of Famer. I mean, he's top five or six in almost every quarterback category in the record books. He had an incredible career. He was tough. I don't know if he was Eli Manning tough, but Phillip Rivers was really tough. He was a great competitor. He was incredibly brilliant, probably knew the game inside and out better than any quarterback he ever competed against. And oh, by the way, character matters in sports Hall of Fames, and he was an all-time great guy. And I don't want to overlook that or take that away from him. But if you're going to tell me, and this is the reason that I'm making this point, making this comparison, because I hate the comparison of Philip Rivers to Eli Manning. And yes, Rivers had a better regular season record. Yes, he had slightly better regular season statistics. But if you're going to make the comparison between the two, at the end of the day, the numbers are close. Eli has two rings. Rivers has none. Don't tell me Philip Rivers is a first ballot Hall of Famer and Eli Manning is not. I think that they both should be. I think they both had incredible careers in their own rights, and I think that they're both great guys, great football players, great competitors, and they should both be celebrated in Canton the first year they're on the ballot. So congratulations, Philip Rivers, on an amazing career. Best of luck now coaching high school football and raising nine kids, I can only imagine. (laughs) But don't take anything away when you talk about Philip Rivers and his incredible achievements. Don't take anything away from the guy who was drafted first that year, Eli Manning. Because he's also a surefire, no doubt about it, first ballot Hall of Famer. Now, there were some coaching moves in the NFL this week. In fact, some just today. Dan Campbell introduced, I think totally undeservingly, as the Detroit Lions head coach. I mean, he went from coaching tight ends in New Orleans. By the way, Jared Cook, as Brandon Lang just pointed out, nice fumble cost your team a trip to Lambeau Field and a date with Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. So yeah, Dan Campbell was coaching Jared Cook tight ends and company down in New Orleans, also the assistant to Sean Payton. And he gets a job over, I think, a slew of more qualified candidates. I mean, Brian Dable up in Buffalo, who has worked wonders with Josh Allen and in just year three of Josh Allen's career has a trip to the AFC championship game. And then the man who should have had a job last offseason, Eric Bieniemy. I mean, you've got Dan Campbell, being hired by the Detroit Lions as a tight end coach. You've got the Philadelphia Eagles today announcing that they've hired the Colts offensive coordinator, Nick Sirianni. What does Eric Biennemi have to do to get a job? I mean, there have been complaints. The only complaint I can think of, the only plausible one, is that Eric Biennemi doesn't call the plays in Kansas City, that Andy Reid calls the plays. So does Biennemi not come up with offensive schemes? Does he not come up with... Some of the creative plays that use guys like Tyreek Hill and last year Damian Williams and Travis Kelsey and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and in all different facets of the offense, does Biennemi have nothing to do with that? Was Dan Campbell calling the plays down in New Orleans? Was Brandon Staley, who by the way, look, the LA Rams had the number one defense in football this year and credit him for being their coordinator, but he was in year one. I mean, was he the D coordinator that helped lead the Rams to the Super Bowl a couple years back? Are you going to tell me he will be more beneficial to Justin Herbert and that offense in L.A. than a guy like Eric Biennemi would be with a franchise quarterback? Uh, I mean, the Philadelphia Eagles taking Sirianni, was the Colts offense anywhere near the Chiefs offense this season? I mean, there is excuse after excuse for why Eric Biennemi doesn't have a job and why other black coaches in the NFL don't have a job. I mean, to me, the easiest one to call out is and it happens to be a team that overlooked the enemy, the Detroit Lions, firing Jim Caldwell 
after two playoff appearances in four seasons, a nine-win season, a ten-win season, I believe there were two nine-win seasons, one of them Detroit missed the playoffs in, he had three winning seasons in four years there. And that's not a team, not a franchise, not a city that's accustomed to winning. And they fire Caldwell. They bring in Matt Patricia, Belichick's longtime D coordinator. And Patricia gets almost three full seasons without winning more than, what, four, five games? I mean, Matt Patricia got way more chances than Jim Caldwell could dream of. Jim Caldwell, who anyone who, who's ever played for the guy, considers him one of the best coaches, whether it was a coordinator or a head coach, that they've ever had. And he can't get a sniff. And a guy like Eric Bieniemy can't get a sniff. And a guy like Marvin Lewis, who, though he was never successful in the playoffs, got there a hell of a lot, now he can't get a sniff. Outside of working with Herm Edwards at Arizona State. And look, I mean, that's not a coaching staff I'd be opposed to being a part of. But does it take one to hire one? I mean, Herm Edwards, Marvin Lewis, Antonio Pierce. Good for Arizona State having such a diverse and successful coaching staff. But a guy like Marvin Lewis, I think, has done enough to deserve a shot at an NFL gig. And Eric Bieniemy, the best offensive coordinator in the game, bar none. I'll put Brian Dable as a very close second. But Eric Bieniemy is the best offensive coordinator in the game. And this will be the second straight offseason that he will have been deserving of a head coaching gig and passed up on one. And frankly, it's ridiculous. And just like that, this episode of Serralo Sports Talk is up. It's over. It's out of here. One more episode next week until I am live from Tampa Bay covering Super Bowl 55. One more time in case you can't remember it from my monologue. I'm going Bills Packers. Hold me to it. I'll see you next week.
Support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.